We just sang these words. Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the billows o'er me roll. Even while my heart is breaking. He, my comfort, helps my soul. It is good to know that Jesus is a help in sorrow. Sorrows come. Jesus promised, in this world you will have trouble. This world is filled with troubles. Sorrows come. Those who have Christ as their comfort have a great advantage. And sometimes that is because Jesus Christ Heals the hurt. Makes the hurt stop hurting. But when the hurt doesn't stop hurting, he is still our comfort. He is still our help in sorrow. Oftentimes our mindset is just make it stop. And we need to understand that God is sovereign. Uh, all of this is applicable to where we'll be today in Acts chapter 16. If you would turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of Acts, we've noted that this 16th chapter in Acts is sort of a mini-series, a mini-sermon series here in the middle of our book study through Acts. And we've said that the theme of the 16th chapter of Acts is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. And uh, as we have had two messages already speaking of gospel power, let me just remind us for a moment, gospel power is God's power. And, and to, to make some sort of distinction would be, would be uh, foolish. What is God doing? God is bringing himself glory and God is bringing about the salvation of all the elect. He is exercising his power to do so. So the theme here is gospel power. It is God's power. And in the story of Lydia, if you'll remember, we saw the power of the gospel over the disposition of the human heart. And then we saw most recently in the casting out of the demon from the slave girl, the power of the gospel over the demonic realm. And now we come to this last section, this last piece of Acts 16, the, the jailer's conversion. Uh, and we see the power of the gospel over discrimination and persecution. Uh, and today's message will serve as sort of a part one as we consider gospel power over discrimination. And there's a little bit of review and we'll move forward a little and we probably won't get to where you would hope that we'll get to, we'll get there next time. Uh, but, but we have to back up a little bit and review a little because the Philippian jailer, we don't get to meet the Philippian jailer without this uh, interaction with this demon-possessed slave girl and her masters. So we want to get this full picture 
Uh, so we're going to back up a little bit in our reading and we're going to read verses 16 through 40. We've done a lot of reading today, but this will be important for us to understand all of what happens and to see it all in one, in one reading. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after us, uh, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, or as we saw last week, a way of salvation. Verse 18, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, uh, he having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. He and all his house. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. 
and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Verse 35. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let, uh, but let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time together. Great triune God of Holy Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you now asking your blessing. We need your aid. We need your aid to help our ignorance, to overcome our stubborn pride, to subdue us to yourself. Open our hearts and inform our minds. We ask that you would sanctify us, mold us to the image of Christ our Savior. We pray even today that you would save the lost by your word and by your spirit. I ask that you hide this preacher behind the cross for we would see Jesus. We ask these things in the name of our Redeemer and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have read again the account of this demon-possessed girl. We saw it last week, but it's also the beginning of the troubles for Paul and Silas. As the apostles cast the demon out of the slave girl, the true heart of her masters is revealed. They are far from relieved to see this slave girl freed from the grip of the demon. When the demon left the girl, their hope of financial profit left them. Someone has pointed out that these men would now be forced to get jobs <laughs> or find some way of making an, a living or find some way another scheme. That prospect of not having their cash cow was disgusting to them. If you want to see what a man truly is, 
apply a little pressure to his pocketbook. The pocketbook is a barometer. The pocketbook tells us so much. And if you want to see what a man is, apply pressure to his pocketbook. Someone said, touch an evil man's money bag and see what a devilish sound it makes. These men made quite a devilish cry. Verse 19 tells us that they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. These men were not content just to go find a job or just to find another scheme, another way to make money. They were angry. They were angry and, and their anger drove their actions and their anger spread over the crowd. An unreasoned, unjust, unlawful anger ruled the day. It was not lawful to beat Roman citizens. It wasn't lawful to imprison Roman citizens in this way. The accusation is made in verse 20 and we see it there. These men are throwing our city into confusion. They are proclaiming customs, it says here, which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe. But notice, there's no specific information given. How are they throwing our city into confusion? What customs are you speaking about? If they were making lawful charges, there would be details, but these are unlawful charges, accusations that are unfounded on anything and nothing is asked. Exactly how are these men disturbing the peace of our city? But no such detail is given and we can plainly see why. Because these were lies. These men are throwing our city into confusion. Well, were they really? There's no indication that these gospel men were causing problems in the city. But the angry slave masters brought these accusations and not even detailed lies, just generic lies and they really incited the crowd by bringing in this racial tension that existed by bringing that up as part of this accusation they did this in order that the crowd would be incited to hate these men and to inflict violence on them We know that their motive was particularly to bring harm to Paul and Silas because the racial violence they started did not truly fit Paul and Silas. These men being Jews, well, they weren't Jews. They were Romans. They're, they're offending we who are Romans, but they were also Romans. And it didn't even fit Paul and Silas were Romans just like most of that crowd. So we note that the accusation, these men are Jews, was assuming something. It was assuming that Paul and Silas were teaching Judaism. 
And we can know, based on what we have seen Paul and Barnabas preach and teach, based on what we have seen uh, Paul preach and teach to Timothy and with Timothy, and now with Silas, we know they were not teaching Judaism. They were preaching Christ and him crucified. But the assumption was made that these men were Jews and that they were teaching some form of Judaism, some sect of Judaism. I've run into conflicting information concerning the legality of different religions in Rome and Philippi at this time that we are reading here in Acts 16. Some have charged that it was illegal to teach a new religion. While others have said that the citizens of Philippi were free to worship whatever, whomever, however they saw fit. And I think there is a, a reason why we see both of those things stated. And I think there's an answer that lies in the words of John Dix, an 18th century Scottish pastor. Dix said, now there was a law of the Romans which prohibited the worship of new gods or the gods of other nations and commanded the people to adore those alone who were acknowledged by the state. Paul and Silas had transgressed by introducing the worship of Jehovah and exhorting the Philippians to renounce their service to their idols. In ancient as well as modern times, there was an established religion to which the people were to conform. As we're, as we're reading this, we're reading about Philippi and Rome 2,000 years ago. But I also, the reason I'm reading this is because it could sound like it was written last week. In ancient as well as modern times, there was a religion to which the people were to conform. Heathenism, indeed, exercised on some occasions a spirit of toleration. One country did not condemn the religion of another as false, but allowed its gods to be true divinities and to be entitled to respect and homage within the boundaries of the nation. Sometimes one nation adopted the gods of another over which they presided. And sometimes they permitted the building of temples and altars to them and public celebrations of their rites. So there was a law, but we can be tolerant. We can allow worship of other gods. What Dix describes here is a toleration that applies in most cases. If you come to town with a new God, the Philippians may make room for your God alongside their other gods or in some relation to their own gods. In most cases. But if there is a God who is intolerant, let's say a God who claims to be the one true and living God, then there's no room for toleration for that God. When I read Dick's description of Rome and Philippi and their religious landscape, it sounds to me like the world in which we live today. 
sounded just like those today who will gladly embrace any and all gods, any and all forms of worship, any and all religions. But when we speak about the one true and living God, when we speak about Jehovah, the great three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, all of a sudden there is no tolerance. They can deny our God, but they will not abide hearing his word. That Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That no one comes to God. No one comes to the Father, but through Jesus Christ, the only Savior. That is not tolerated. Christians, we should not be surprised when we are dragged into the marketplace, when false accusations are made, that, that we are troublemakers or that we are intolerant. We should not be shocked when we are treated as Paul and Silas are treated here in Philippi. I want to pause here. This is not in my notes, but I think this is important for us to say. Jesus Christ and him crucified is a stumbling block and an offense. Christian, you don't add offense. You don't add trouble. That's not your job. Christ is enough of a stumbling block and enough of an offense to the world that we dare not add offense. But we don't compromise who he is. We should not be shocked when we, without adding any offense, are treated just like Paul and Silas were treated here in Philippi. Now we have noted in our study over the last few, few messages, the providential hand and the sovereign power of God throughout chapter 16. And, and we've already talked about some of these things this morning in our Sunday school hour. It's almost like you read ahead. We've talked about these things in chapter 16. So let's remember just in our minds the, the wonderful things that God has done. By his wise providence, God brought Lydia, an Asian woman, from Thyatira all the way to Philippi. He brought her there. Also, by, by his providential guidance, by his hand, he guided, he carried Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy and those who were with them, these missionaries. He carried them to the same city. And we celebrate the good providence of God. And we call it that, the good providence of God. We celebrate the good providence of God. His hand working, guiding, arranging, orchestrating things to bring Lydia, one lady who was a, one of the elect of God, to bring her to faith in Christ. What a, what a wonderful thing this providence of God. 
Perhaps we are reminded as we think about this, the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8 when he said, And we know that all things... I want to go back and do it again. And here's why. Your translation probably says, and we know that all things work. But it's better to say this, because things don't work. This is better. And we know that God works all things. You see the difference? And we know that God works all all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We think about that verse. Romans 8, 28 is the verse when we hear about Lydia and all that God orchestrated to bring her to Christ. We can think about Romans 8, 28 and we can love the providence of God. When we see the conversion of Lydia, we celebrate God's sovereignty. We rush to Romans 8.28 and we say God works all things. Amen? But now allow us to go from this height of praising God for His good providence. And let's go to verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks, beaten, bloodied, in the inner prison in stocks. How much are we about comfort? Y'all comfortable? We sit here in these comfortable chairs. How do you get comfortable in stocks when you were just beaten brutally? There are two things that, that may tempt us when we read these verses. We must avoid these errors. First, we may just minimize the beating. Well, it probably wasn't that bad. Probably wasn't that big a deal. I, I think last week I mentioned the caning of um, Michael Fay. And, and I have pictures of humans who were caned in my mind. And even with those images, I think this was worse. I think this was, because this was not four or five or six, this was beaten with many strokes. So we, we would err to say, well, this beating wasn't too bad. But, but we might then dismiss and say, well, it's not too bad that God's still sovereign. God's still on his throne, but the beating wasn't too bad. That would be an error. This was no mild thing. And I chose not to as I was preparing. I, I chose not to try to give a graphic description of the horror that must have been. Firstly, because I think it would be too much for us, for a Sunday morning crowd. And secondly, because I don't think I have the 
vocabulary and the command of language to describe such a thing accurately. But let's just say this was brutal. This was horrible. As just for us to think about, and so you know how I'm thinking about this, I have a theory, and so I'm going to tell you from the outset that, that I've come across no one else that has had this idea. So take it for what it is. It's the thoughts of one, one guy. It speaks about their beating. And then this earthquake comes and the doors are open and the chains fall off. And the prisoners didn't leave. Paul and Silas are still there. And you may have some weird idea in your mind that they were just so in love with Philippi and this jail that they decided to hang out. <laughs> but let me remind you, when the angel came and, and broke Peter out of prison, they left. I mean, that's what you do. When, you, when, when, when the earthquake comes, you are arrested falsely, you're a Roman citizen, the earthquake comes, you leave. My theory, my, my thought is that they were beaten, they were not, their wounds were not cleaned and bandaged and taken care of, and they were put in this inner prison in stocks, and then they were released, as it were, by this earthquake that God sent, and they didn't leave, and I think it may be because they were unable on their own. I mean, even when the jailer comes later, they don't come out to meet him. He goes in and brings them out. Now, now that's, just, that's just conjecture on my part. But that's how bad I think this is. I think they were able, unable to, to walk out of the prison, to run out of the prison, to escape after they were released. Here's the point. And, and the next error that we can fall into Christian, brother and sister, when we hear of Lydia's conversion, we think about the sovereignty of God, we think about the providential hand of God, and we rejoice at how God works all things together. But now we come here and Paul and Silas are brutally beaten. And they are in anguish over the many blows. And one temptation that we may have is to say, well, for a moment, God wasn't providentially in control. For a moment, God wasn't sovereign. I, I, maybe this is the time where Satan won. Now, I, I know you may be thinking, who would but, but think about how we say things. We talk like that sometimes. Well, Satan just got the victory there. God's will just wasn't accomplished in that circumstance. Do you hear that? I am not telling you that it is easy to see Paul and Silas beaten and say this is God's good providence. But was God defeating you? 
asked, asked a different way. Who brought this to pass? Now certainly there was sin and there was responsibility of the crowds and of those who brought the accusation and there, there were those who, who did them. There was responsibility to go around and send a plenty here. And those who were who were the second causes in this. But does the use of second causes make this any less the providential hand of God? Can we still rejoice in God's goodness when he uses a second cause like a brutal beating of Paul and Silas? Maybe, maybe we can come to Acts 16 and we can muster the will to glorify God. Because after all, this was 2,000 years ago. This is over. And we, we, we read the end of the story. So maybe we can muster the will to glorify God in this. It was not only 2,000 years ago, it was also Paul and Silas, and it wasn't me and you. And it's a lot easier for us sometimes to see the hardships of someone else than it is to see our own hardships. But, but we should learn something from this for the time when it's not Paul and Silas, but it is me and you. Now, I've got to confess to you, this is not a sermon I'm preaching that I'm saying, I've got all of this. I'm, I'm killing it with this and you need to get on with That's not what this is. This is hard. This is hard stuff. And I'm just going to confess right here. My tendency is to cry. My tendency is to whine. My tendency is to complain. Now, it may just be me. But that's my tendency to complain about stuff. How many of us default to that kind of reaction when things are difficult? When there's a beating? Christian, when it's, when it's your job loss, when it's your health crisis, When your finances are in a mess and you find yourself in a predicament, do, do we still then see God at work? When you've lost a loved one? In those times, do we remember Romans 8, 28? Do we know that God is still working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose? In this text, there is a lesson for us. We complain. But in verse 25, they say, Verse 25, but about midnight. Can we just pause here for a moment and think about midnight? 
Now certainly this was about midnight if you look at the clock. But it was midnight in so many other ways. Spiritually, Philippi was in midnight. Paul and Silas are beaten and jailed and it seems it seems as though the gospel preacher and even the gospel itself is, is in midnight. You get kind of excited about what's coming. But it was about midnight, verse 25. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Christians sometimes... Sometimes it's only through tear-filled eyes that we can sing. And see, this, I'm not saying it's easy. I, I don't know if they had tears in their eyes, but they were singing praises to God. And sometimes all we can do is sing through brokenheartedness. But God is still worthy of worship. Sometimes, even in prayer, we don't have words. God, how, do I, how do I pray? What do I even say? Isn't it good to know that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us? Even with broken hearts, he is our help. He is our help. And we can still know the sovereign God's good providence is good. God is still good and that he is still working all things together for our good and for his glory. They sang. They sang and they prayed. Let's take note of that final little phrase in verse 25. The prisoners were listening. Brothers and sisters, we have opportunities to praise God, to honor him, to glorify him. <laughs> to point to Christ Jesus. We have opportunities that those types of things can come out of our mouths and glorify God no matter what. The world is listening. Now that, that's good, but that's also scary. No matter what, the world is listening. The world is listening when we take those opportunities to glorify God. To say this is hard, but God is in control and He is good. But when we cry and when we complain and when we whine, the world's still listening. When we act in times of difficulty, the same way the atheist acts in times of difficulty. Do we do that, Christians? Yeah, sometimes we behave. We live practically as if there is no God in control. 
as if we are not redeemed by Jesus Christ, as if we are not his children. And what comes from our lips, the world is listening. They are listening when we cry and complain, and they are listening when we pray and sing praises to God. And here they were listening. I know we need to close. Let's note how God works to bring just a few sinners into the fold. You remember when we read early in Acts, 3,000 souls were converted. Boy, if we, if we read about a beating there that led to the conversion of 3,000 souls, we might... We might weigh the balance and we might say, well, 3,000 souls. Well, maybe it's worth all that. This is just a few. This is just the jailer and his household. And God's providential work, God's providential hand, moving all these people from place to place, but orchestrating an opportunity for Paul and Silas to be imprisoned. All of this is to bring a few sinners to repentance and faith. Sinner, you're here today and you may think, does God care? Earlier we read uh, from Jeremiah, Pastor Brent read, God saying, am I a God who is at a distance? Am I a God who is near? The answer is yes, right? <laughs> he's transcendent, but he's also here. He's close. And, and you may think, is God so far off? Is God so, so far off? Listen, the scripture unfolds this great story that God has gone to the greatest lengths to save sinners. From sending Jesus Christ to live and die on our behalf, to committing the scriptures to writing and protecting them so that we can have the gospel before us today, to moving the world and the people and the things in the world all the way to the point that you are hearing this right now. God has done so much. God's great salvation not only includes the end, but it includes all the means to get you to the end. This passage tells us of the awesome reach of the grace of God. Are you further away than a Philippian jailer? How, how could you be farther away from the gospel of Christ than a Philippian jailer. Well, he was not too far. He was not too far. And friend, you are not either. You are not too far. This passage tells us of the awesome reach, the amazing grace of God. Verse 26, God sends this, this amazing earthquake with pinpoint accuracy to do exactly what he planned. Earthquakes are 
there's something that we're not accustomed to in Texas. Uh, the thought occurred to me, we've had a, a great invasion. <laughs> All you Californians who have come in, you know something of earthquake. I'll never forget my wife when she moved here, said, you know, I don't mind an earthquake. But I don't want to see a tornado. Give me a tornado any day. <laughs> I don't want to see the earth move. It seems so unpredictable. And, and boy, things just fall apart. It, this, the text tells us the foundations were shaken. That's scary. You know anything about building and construction. The foundation is very important. It's holding everything up. And the foundations are shaken. But we don't know of anything in this world, like this kind of earthquake. Strong enough to weaken, to break loose and open the doors of the prison. That's strong. With enough precision, pinpoint precision to unlock the chains. But safe enough that the structure of the building is fine. No one was hurt. No one was killed. This is a miracle. This is a miracle from God. Friends, today we, we come before God in wonder at the nature of His providence as He preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. We praise God for the awesome reach of his grace. And this morning we should let this bring us to a place of worship for God. Maybe today for some of us it has to be through tears. Maybe today you can praise God for his sovereignty and his, his providence without tears, but, but the day is coming when you too will suffer a hardship. If trouble's not at your house, it's on the way. And we bring, we, we, this brings us to the point of worshiping God for who he is. And for what he has done to redeem a people as a bride, as a gift for his son, Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll pick up in verse 27 and we'll see the jailer's conversion. I can't wait. What must I do to be saved? I don't want to keep going. We need to stop. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we pray that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts. We pray that you would be glorified. We pray that your people would be sanctified. And we ask that by your grace, Lost sinners would be justified in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
pray. In the name of our Lord and for his kingdom's sake.